Thank you for checking out the Missio Day Humble Park podcast and joining us as we join God as he makes all things new. We are excited to pursue his heart for the greatest city on earth and the center of the city in this great neighborhood of Humble Park. And I really believe that. And so today I'm going to be um, talking about as we're continuing in our reception series about God giving great, amazing, and wonderful gifts to us, what better gift that he's given us than the Holy Spirit? I was be talking about the way that we are transformed by the Spirit, which can be very controversial. I don't know how, if it's in the Bible, but it can be very controversial. And talk about steps that we walk into that we can be actually filled with the Spirit, filled with the Holy Spirit. This whole denominations are made on what we believe on the infilling of the Holy Spirit. Does it include speaking in tongues? Does it not include speaking in tongues? Does it include prophecy? Does it include healing? I believe that God is looking for any way possible to show us his love, that he's arraying every tool that exists in order for us to know how much he loves us and how even precious this gift of the Holy Spirit is. And as we are preparing um, to be a receiving space, if you get a chance, go down and check out the lounge just being prepared downstairs. Lord, prepare me. You know, he's preparing us. We're preparing spaces. We're getting ready to receive. And as such, what we're going to do together as a body, which I've mentioned before, is begin to pray for who we are going to invite to church. Not just on any day, but the Super Bowl Sunday of church. That is Easter, all right? So what we're going to do is get a little poster board with the temperature gauge on it, and we fill it up for fundraising. No, that's old school. That's, that's 80s. No, we're not going to do that. But we are going to have lines where you can put names, or if you don't want to put names, you can put initials of people that you will be praying for. Therefore, we all will know as a body who we're getting ready to invite to our space. And as we're clearing out stuff, I got rid of this desk over here, you know what I'm saying? If you notice that, we're making big moves around here, okay? Big moves. Cleaned out that corner down there, we're getting rid of all kind of crap, throwing it out the way. Christian cuss work. We're getting rid of all this stuff. But it's so we can prepare this space which happens before anything else happens. There's always a time of preparation. And so next week there's going to be a poster board up. And I would love if you would be thinking of someone that you can invite. I want to have 30 names on that. I think we do good with numbers and goals. So that's the goal. And look, you got two months almost to contemplate that, to think about it to talk yourself out of it, to say he really didn't say that, it's not scriptural to invite people to church. You know, you got two months to go through all that, okay? And then we're going to go, you can invite them. We're going to have an Easter egg hunt too, so families are welcome. We're going to do it real big, you know? Super Bowl of Sundays. Live animals, no, I'm not going to promise that. but (laughs) But this is how we are engaging together to invite people into this space that we clean house, that we sweep those corners, that we prepare to welcome people in. Abundance is not just about God. Give me abundance. 
give me more, I need it. It is about preparing our hearts. The same way as if we are praying for more patience, God, I need patience. He's not going to give me patience. He's going to prepare me by giving me a situation I'm impatient in. And I need patience to array in it. That gifts do grow best in the midst of our preparation. So one of my favorite subjects ever to talk about is the Holy Spirit and the infilling of the Holy Spirit. I do believe there are different um, occurrences from when we receive salvation. I believe we do receive a measure of his spirit. But just as we receive a measure of his spirit, there is also a time of infilling. And I'm going to show you in scripture um, exactly how that happens. So if you want to turn with me to Acts 2, 1 through 4, which many have called the birth of the church. Wow, the birth of the church happened with the coming of the Holy Spirit. Just to give you a little bit of context, Jesus had ascended up to heaven as his disciples are looking at him. And he says, I will wait because I am sending you a helper. They didn't know how long it was going to take, but they did know they were supposed to go back to the upper room. The same room where they had last supper with Jesus and where they had also hidden in fear. In John 20, they were hiding in fear, wondering if the Jews are coming to take them out. No, that doesn't happen, but Jesus does appear in the midst of them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. I don't believe they were in a place quite yet to really receive the Holy Spirit. They weren't prepared. They were in fear. But then again, Jesus says, I'm going, and I'm going to leave a helper with you, and you should wait again. We're a better place to wait than the last place that they were with Jesus in the room. So they go back to the upper room, and they wait, and all of a sudden, all heaven breaks loose. And like a mighty rushing wind, in comes this mighty Holy Spirit that begins to manifest in strange ways, in ways that they didn't expect and understand the only reason they received it that way is because Jesus told them to wait and that it would happen. And in Acts 2 and 1, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, this is 50 days after the resurrection, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as a fire. And one sat upon each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, this is very controversial because it is a heavenly language. For more context of what was going on in Jerusalem at the time, it was Passover. It was a time when the Jewish diaspora, or those who were dispersed throughout the ancient world, came to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover. They were more accurately celebrating the time when God broke the, um, the children of Israel out of Egypt with signs and wonders. They put blood on the lintel posts, and as such, the spirit of death passed over the homes that were obedient to the words that God had given them through Moses. They came together for this celebration, and so there were people of many different languages, although they were Jewish, 
they were from people that were from Turkey, what is known today as Turkey was then Asia Minor, and Syria, and all places around with different languages. And as they started to speak in tongues later on in Acts 2, they go, wow, I'm hearing the language, my own language. There's no way they know it because I am from a far country. This is a part of the evidence of the infilling of the Holy Spirit. That it is something that is about an overflowing. I'm going to go into a little bit about what tongues do for us as a body, um, how it feeling is different than just receiving a measure. As I'm saying, we get saved and we do receive a measure of the Lord's Spirit. We receive a measure of that. But the time of overflowing, when we actually have the opportunity to minister to others, to pour out to others, to see peace that passes all understanding, to love in a sacrificial way, is prepared by the Holy Spirit. Why is it that the disciples were cowards before they were filled with the Spirit? And then after they were filled with the Holy Spirit, they would run through a wall. That's what I saw was the difference. What happened to Peter between Jesus being crucified? Seeing your Savior crucified and seeing him appear may not be enough to convince you that now you are empowered differently. Peter, as we know, ended up being crucified upside down because he didn't want to be crucified the way Jesus was. This courage that seemed to rise from nowhere, I believe, came with the measure of being filled with the Spirit. The first step to being filled with the Spirit is waiting on the Spirit. Anyone here likes to wait? I know, we got some professional waiters. Nobody likes to wait. <laughs> we want it now. We want it immediately. We don't want to have to sit in this nasty, weird, in-between space of, did God really say? Did God really say this? Did I really hear this in my heart? Is this really available to me? Which many times, as I've said before, the waiting makes us doubt. Waiting makes us doubt, which goes into inactivity, and then that goes into unbelief. Peter, in many ways, tried to get ahead of this by being impulsive. If he didn't wait, then he couldn't go into unbelief. So I'm like, it's like, jump out of the boat, cut the dude's ear off. He was just like, you know, we give Peter such a hard rap, but he was like teaching us a principle of obedience. That many times the waiting is tough and allows us to really say, did God really say that? Did he really do this? Waiting in the old school term is tarrying, to tarry in the spirit, to just be fully arrested and waiting on God to come. This is the difference between the disciples in the upper room, in fear, and in the upper room, waiting to receive the Holy Spirit. The church was born at that moment because they were waiting patiently and anticipating God come. And when we wait and we anticipate, he comes. They that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up on wings like eagles. They shall walk and not faint. They shall run and not be weary. Isaiah 40 and 31. That is always about us embracing the invisible becoming visible.
I know it's strange and hard to explain to people sometimes that we believe in an invisible God. Whole religions are built all that. Whole uh, beliefs in atheism are built out that. You believe in an invisible God you can't see, but I stand on Hebrews 11 and 1. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Everything that was created existed in an invisible space before it was created. Everything. Wow. So the world even works by faith. I see you might not believe me, so let me give you an example. Before this bench ever was, it existed in someone's mind who imagined it, drew it down, then shaped it and crafted it. Everything exists in an invisible space. Whether you call it our imagination, whether you call it heaven, whether you call it whatever, there is always the invisible being made visible. That's why a name for Jesus is the image of the invisible God. That we are walking, that we can't get around it. I'm sorry, this is weird in Christianity. But we can't get around it. The invisible becomes visible. When we anchor ourselves to what we see, we are anchoring ourselves to the wrong thing. When we anchor ourselves to race, when we anchor ourselves to what we have, when we anchor ourselves to the world's ideas of prestige and power, we are anchoring ourselves to the wrong thing. The invisible manifests in the visible, and it's never known more than waiting. We have to wait for the invisible to manifest in the visible. Think about this. I thought about this this week. We are so into control that we will form our theology around not needing faith. We will form our theology about not needing to ever see something that is invisible come to the visible. God doesn't heal. God doesn't speak anymore. God doesn't do this. God doesn't do that. Speaking tongues is wrong. All these things that are actually meant to build our faith. We speak in tongues for edification, for us to understand there's a language between us and God that creates this unbroken bond of faith where I have to believe that I'm speaking to him and that he is speaking to me. We love control so much, and control equals us serving a God with low expectations because we know what, he lo- we know what he's going to do. We lower God to our understanding. And we never find a peace that goes beyond understanding because we got to understand. You know, God, I'll follow you if you, like, explain it to me. Just give me the whole layout plan. Why, mortal? (laughs) Do I need to tell you the whole plan? Like I say, when I was little, Mama, where are we going? Mama, what are we doing? When are we going to be home? She would be like, just ride. (laughs) God, just ride. Do you trust me or not? What do we, how does this work out? How does it, just ride. We're going to make it where we are going. We need control so much that we cannot deal with the invisible. We cannot deal with Christianity that is essentially 
a mystical belief, a mystical religion. It's unseen. I'm sorry. We, we believe in a spirit we can't see. We believe in Jesus who has come to this earth as an image of the invisible God, and we believe in a father who created the earth, who created us from the dust, created the world from nothing. This is a bit of an aberration or, you know, a tangent, but I was thinking that man has created poverty, not God. Because to think that poverty is natural would mean that when he created man on the sixth day, that all the days that preceded that sixth day, he didn't leave enough to sustain man he was creating. That he made the plants, he made the animals, he made the ocean, he made everything up to that sixth day, then created man. So for me to think poverty just exists naturally would mean that God was, he was mistaken in his planning, in his budgeting. But we know God is not a God that budgets at all. He's a God of overflow, of abundance, of water into wine, and it's vats and vats of it that men have learned to hoard and distribute by merit what he has made. It's crazy. He loves us so much that it's nothing but abundance. That do we really have what we think we have if it doesn't overflow to others? What I have, what I possess, is not what I possess. What I truly possess is what can be given and what can pour out to others. This is the Holy Spirit. That if you've ever felt empty, if you've ever felt like I don't have any more to give, that a provision has been made for us through peace, love, and these gifts of the Spirit those juicy fruit that flow very easily. This next passage is Ephesians 3, 14 through 19. The church of Ephesus was the perfect church. This is the passage that precedes this crescendo in scripture, which is now unto them who was able to exceed now to him who is able to give exceedingly and abundantly above all that we can ask or think according to the power that works in us through the church in Christ Jesus, to him be the power and glory forever and ever. Amen. That's the verse after this, but you know, that one just sounds so good. It's like you got to mention it. Six chapters long, and Ephesians is all about our inheritance in Christ. And Jesus doing these naturally supernatural things as God and as man to show us there was a way to follow God upon this earth that wouldn't make whatever exists constantly a yoke. And Paul writes, For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, 
that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width, the length, the depth, and the height to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you may be filled with the fullness of God. Wow. Filled with the fullness of God. That Jesus is made available to us by way of the Holy Spirit to be filled with the fullness of God. That is a lot of filling. Filled with the fullness is better than three hours at OCB. You know what I'm saying? Old country buffet, if you're wondering what that means. <laughs> filled with all the fullness that we must wait, but we also must be filled, filled with the Spirit, that we receive a measure when we receive Jesus in our heart, but it's important for that vessel to be filled to the top as God doesn't do anything without it overflowing. We think about Jesus turning water into wine or Elijah turning um, empty vessels into the widow's oil and to her flour and then she can pay off all of her debt. That God does more, more, more than enough. Why don't we receive more, more, more than enough? Because we don't prepare. That being filled with the Spirit requires us to be open to what he's doing. That what if what ails you and what has ailed you for a long time simply needs to be drowned in his Spirit? In this vessel that is meant to overflow. Truly because of free will, Whatever I believe or think is possible is true. Whatever I think God can do is true. If I believe God doesn't heal today, you're right. He doesn't heal. If I believe God doesn't speak today, you're right. He doesn't. If you believe that you can't be filled with the Spirit, you're right. He doesn't. Which is why it's very weird to teach that because it just like self-informs itself. When I say what I don't believe, what I don't think happens, what, yeah, that, that's the way it works because we have to believe in order to walk into something. But the whole purpose of Jesus coming to fulfill the law, right, was for him to show us what is possible, not what ain't possible. Paul says the law doesn't work because it tells me what I can't do and what I don't want to do, I do want to do, even though I don't want to do it. Jesus gave us be attitudes. This is how you should be. You should be filled. Blessed are the pure in heart so they shall see God. Mankind for all eternity have been trying to fulfill this law or fulfill what God had given them to do, and only Jesus could feel that. Why? Filled with the Holy Spirit. God, John actually anoints him and baptizes him in the Jordan, and God says, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. And we know the dove descends on Jesus, 
And then Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being tempted for 40 days by the devil. And in those days he ate nothing, and afterward, when they had ended, he was hungry. That's the most obvious statement, you know, in Scripture. <laughs> he ate nothing for 40 days. He was hungry. All right, okay, cool. <laughs> he was hungry, and as we know, he went into the wilderness. The enemy was seeking to destroy him, but God was seeking to destroy the enemy. And he goes in and says, hey, look, I'll give you all these kingdoms, anything you want. And Jesus is like, uh, no. And the power of the Holy Spirit, that he could face off with the enemy at this time as he had been filled. And I would say if Jesus needs to be filled, then darn it, we need to be filled too. That there is no evidence of Jesus speaking in tongues, but there is evidence of his disciples speaking in tongues. Evidence of us being filled. And in this verse, filled is the word pledes, which means filled up and lacking nothing. Lacking nothing. Anybody ever do a scantron when you were in school? Like, I don't know when you grew up, but you know when you fill in the bubbles with your pencil, right? Imagine us attempting to fill that bubble with our good works in the law. We're trying to fill it as much as we can. All of our scribbling had just done a little minuscule dot inside of the bubble. We couldn't even answer the question, which what is the question is? Can man be reconciled to God? But Jesus came along and filled that question all in. Says, yes, man can be reconciled to God by my sacrifice. Filling. Filled with the Spirit. The disciples were verified cowards before they were filled with the Holy Spirit running from, denying, huddling in fear, then all of a sudden they become these superheroes of our faith. That feeling does something more than have a shake in instances or speak in tongues or roll on the floor. If I am not changed and transformed in my life that I live out there, then am I really changed and transformed? That God is always doing a work for us inside out. This is a picture from a salt flat in Bolivia. And um, they call this space where heaven meets earth. And you see why. It's a salt flat. It's about 4,000 square miles. And in certain parts of the year, it's covered by water. And it creates this big mirror to the sky. It's a plateau about 11,000 feet up. And I saw this and I thought, this is what being filled with the Spirit is supposed to produce. Us in this unbroken, hard to break apart, symbiotic relationship with heaven, 
where we see from God's perspective, where we don't think with despair when someone says they're sick with a chronic illness, where we don't always talk about just impossibilities, but we begin to talk about possibilities. We don't always see it as half empty. We see it as full. That we can always understand that there is no impossible situation when God is involved, that he is able to do exceedingly and abundantly above all that we can ask or think, and our lives will overflow into the lives of others. Filled up, lacking nothing. There are lives that are lived, that are filled Lacking nothing, overflowing to others. This is Harriet Tubman in old age. As she is sitting here, and I'm just like, I saw this picture. She looks like royalty. She looks like royalty. Her life of sacrifice has overflowed into others. Where her name will never be forgotten and her legacy will never be forgotten. This is the lives that we are called to live, not for our own, but they shall flow into others. Why does oppression exist? Jesus told us that we are called to love our enemies. We are called to place people before us. But sometimes for the prophet, we place people behind us. And we forget the love that places others' safety and well-being before us. Those who live overflowing lives are those who do that consistently. Such an example of beauty, grace, and determination to free over a hundred slaves. And she said famously, I freed a hundred I could have freed more if they just knew they were slaves. A beautiful reflection of a life that overflows. Also another life that overflows is Rosa Parks, the tired secretary of the NAACP, who stayed on a bus in Montgomery and sparked the civil rights movement that there are these examples of those who died lacking nothing, that they lived a life of overflow and abundance. And so many of us desire significance, and so many of us desire to make a mark upon this earth it sometimes requires us to go places that we have never gone before, even considering what we desire and how we desire the things that God has given us. We started out this series, The Reception, talking about 1 Corinthians 12, which has a listing of all the gifts and goes into 1 Corinthians 13, which is the chapter on love. And then we go into 1 Corinthians 14, which is about order. How do you speak in tongues in a public environment and it doesn't seem 
strange and out of order. So in this chapter 14, Paul goes through everything from the proper way to do it and also saying that it is easier and much more beneficial to prophesy in English because people can understand that. That is actually a sign to unbelievers as we consider the order that we do things. He also said that I speak in tongues more than everybody. I like to boast much, Paul. <laughs> I've been whipped 39 times. <laughs> He's like, oh, you like suffering, don't you? <laughs> Speak in tongues, and also it shows that it is for self-edification. When we speak in tongues and it sounds crazy and mine sounds like and it sounds weird, and it's like, what is that? It is my language to God. And it's also a way that I build up my spirit. Sometimes when I'm in scary situations, I speak in tongues. That in Romans it says that sometimes we don't know what to say, but the Spirit intercedes for us on our behalf. But in this verse, therefore, brethren, desire earnestly to prophesy and do not forbid to speak with tongues. Let all things be done decently and in order. So many times we have experiences with the Holy Spirit or those who are ministering the Holy Spirit or gifts of the Spirit, and it causes us to go, eh, I don't know, God is not a God of disorder and chaos, I don't know. Um, and then I say, well, true, everything should be in order, but have you ever seen a child born? That is some messy stuff. Yes, it's beautiful, and you're crying, and you're trying not to pass out, as in my case, um, but you would think after three times that I would be fine, but uh, you're, you're, you would, all these, the way that it happens and that we think everything is supposed to be nice, perfect, and neat. And there is a case that we can do that, and Paul gives a roadmap. So it's great that you have the gifts of the Spirit, chapter 12. Love, chapter 13, and then order, right? So all of those elements have to be in place for God to continue to move. That we are those who wait, and as we are filled with the Spirit, that we expect that he is going to come and that he is going to show up and do what he's going to do. That we've walked through lives where um, we receive Christ in our hearts, but the measure of the fullness of God is determined now by our hunger. It's determined by how much we go after Jesus. You want to come up, Matt?